likewise. Right, Mark chapter 6 is where we are. I need to open up there myself. And let me just reiterate as, as well, of course, for the, for the gentleman, whether you're first time here this morning, quite new, not yet uh, really plugged in, or one of the old timers, uh, everybody's, all the guys are welcome along uh, to the uh, men's brekkie we're having on Saturday, 29th of May. It's going to be out in Tambourine Village, which is uh, the, the home of uh, one of the guys here. Um, beautiful spot. I was out there during the week. It's a great location, uh, and uh, we're just going to be down in the Glen, have a fire, and uh, cook up a whole lot of uh, uh, stuff for brekkie, and I'll be giving a message on becoming a patriarch and then God's view of manhood. So hopefully that'll be a, a blessing to everybody who can come. You can register on the Hope Reform Baptist Church app where you can get all of our sermons and some old stuff as well, um, an extra teaching series on that app. And on the homepage of the app, there's an RSVP button that you can uh, load up your details in and let us know that you're coming so that we can cater for you. I don't want anybody to go without food that morning. And Vic will have to sacrifice if we don't have enough. <clears throat> So here we are in Mark chapter 6, and it's been our, our joy to be uh, traveling through this book as we, we just meet Jesus in his own context as uh, Mark, under the authority of the apostle uh, Peter, is writing this, uh, this story of Jesus' life. And I think every week we've come across a passage or a text or a verse or a story that is so often taken out of context and misapplied or twisted by false teachers and and, and uh, I love uh, straightening those out and showing us what, what they're, they're meant to mean rather than be, uh, being abused as they so often are. But, but this is our practice at Hope Church and this is our conviction that God's word in God's context, in God's order, with God's emphasis and, uh, and, and, and things that happened before and where it leads to and the comment that the author makes, this is the best and most healthy way for us in your own individual reading and listening and for us as a body to go through the word of God book by book and chapter by chapter as our, uh, as our primary practice here. And so we find ourselves in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus has, if you remember back at the beginning of uh, chapter 6, he was largely rejected among his own people back home on a Sabbath. The crowds were not there. Everybody was in their own homes, in their own villages, at their own synagogues. And Jesus was at this small synagogue in Nazareth. And there he was preaching and they desired not to have him. They couldn't stomach that this man they knew was going to come and claim the sorts of things he was claiming. Well, then uh, after being rejected, he sent out his 12 apostles to go and, and multiply the ministry. Uh, and this is really coming to the close. There's only about uh, uh, well, there's two more chapters in Mark, but only a few more months of Jesus' time up in Galilee. He's going to spend most of his time now back and forth in Jerusalem, especially in the book of Mark. Um, so uh, we're, we're sort of drawing to a close this half of his ministry that is up in Galilee, around his hometown and around the, the lake of Ga the Sea of Galilee up there. And, and he's just multiplied his ministry 12-fold by giving to his disciples, now apostles, the very self-same authority that he has. He gives it to them. They start going out and accumulating crowds similar to the size that he had been gathering. Uh, times 12, all over the countryside, different villages. We, we remember last week we heard that Herod heard about this. There was such a swell of activity and spiritual miracles that he was nervous. And then he remembered the night probably just a few weeks ago, if we track the timeline, that, that he had beheaded John the Baptist because his adulterous wife and sister-in-law and niece Herodias had told him to do so and sort of twisted his arm. And so it's all coming to a heat here in, in, in Israel. And, and as all these disciples go out, they do their miracles, they preach and they heal and they come back. And that's where we pick up this morning in verse 30 of chapter 6. The apostles returned to Jesus 
and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them all away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. They said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? That's about two-thirds of a year's wage, uh, assuming maybe they had that in the bank, uh, in the little money bag that they had. And Should we do that? <laughs> it's not a plan worth thinking about. And then he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they'd found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the bread and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. May God bless the reading and expositing and applying of his own authoritative, inerrant, precious word to us this morning. Well, we, we come here and I think the, the, what I want to call today's sermon is that the shepherd feeds his sheep. What we're going to unpack today is as we look at this, and we'll borrow a little bit from John's gospel and a little bit from Matthew's gospel to sort of fill in the gaps here that we read in this amazing story. We arrive at the only miracle outside of the resurrection, which is a given. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. But outside of the resurrection, there is only one miracle that is recorded in all four gospels. And it's this one. It's the feeding of the 5,000. I think when we hear that and realize that, we have to take that uh, as, as something uh, uh, showing a significance. That, that, that's important. Every single person who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down the important details of Jesus' life that would communicate to us important things about who Jesus is to know him for our salvation, every one of them thought, this needs to be in there. I think today in the time of fast food and Uber Eats, we probably, we probably would look at this as a, as a pretty cool miracle. That's nice and it's handy and it was impressive. We're going to see that for the people of the day, this was the big one. This was so significant. It was immense in size and we're going to go through and, and uh, really pull it all apart. But look down at verse 30 uh, down to 32 where, where the apostles returned to Jesus. And verse 30 tells us that they told them all that they'd done and all that they'd taught. So this was ministry debrief 
time. They were coming back excited. They were like kids returning from an excursion at school. Jesus, you won't believe what we did. I, I told dead people to get up, and they just did. I told demons to run away. They did. Your name has authority, Jesus. Did you know that? I, I think that they were still a little bit thick at this point in the ministry. We're going to keep on seeing. I think that's a, a, a like, likely sort of dialogue that they had. Yes, friends, I knew my name had such authority. He's listening. He's patient. He loves them. But he is assessing them. And he said to them in verse 31, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. That desolate place, he's not meaning a desert. He's not going to go and, 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 and bake them in the sun. It means a lonely place. Somewhere where we can be alone. This is Jesus as the, as the great shepherd. And of course, Peter, who's overseeing this gospel, in his own letter, calls Jesus the, the chief shepherd. Or another English translation would be senior pastor. Jesus is the chief shepherd and senior pastor over his church. And of course, that also applies to his pastors and his under shepherds. The very first of who were the 12 disciples that he had set out, who had become the foundation of the church. He cares for them. And he tends even to his under shepherds. He knows, he knows what it is to be fatigued. He has time and again throughout this gospel and we see in the other gospels, he's human. He is divine and he is really human, which means he doesn't just get to make his face glow down alleys. He doesn't just get to click and cause warm fires. He has to work. The one who spoke the sun and the galaxies into existence in a moment has to whittle wood together and, and use oil on a wick to make a fire. This is Jesus. He's, he's in a real human nature. He had felt fatigued. He felt tired, and he looked around at his weary men, each of them that had been followed and pressed in by the crowds. He realizes that they are in need of rest. They had, as we mentioned before, accumulated crowds around themselves to preach to and to heal, similar to what Jesus had done. They had done ministry like he had, and now they were feeling the weight of it like he had. And it says in the end of verse 31, For many were coming and going... And they had no leisure even to eat. So the disciples had come back, and we could think that, that maybe people had followed them back. Like people, like we see here, are chasing Jesus around. They, they follow the apostles back to Jesus. So you've got multiple accumulated crowds here together. Or, or maybe it just means they come back in secret, they find Jesus, and then people notice them, the gossip gets around, and people start gathering. We don't know exactly what's happening, but we know this is a huge crowd. They're all pressing in, and the disciples, weary as they are, remember, Jesus told them, don't take extra food, don't take extra pocket money, don't even take a sleeping bag. You have to rely on the providence of God in the hearts of the people you're preaching to. If they don't give it to you, you go without. So it had been a hard journey, a couple of months, uh, or, or at least a few weeks is what the, the commentators think. And so here they come back to Jesus, and they, they, they want rest and sustenance. They're telling Jesus all about it, and they can't even eat. There's no way to get food. The crowds are pressing in. So Jesus, caring for his under-shepherds, caring for their human nature that they need rest, he said, let's go away. Let's, let's, uh, let's have some, a bit of a pastor's retreat. And they went away in the boat. This, uh, the other Gospels tell us that they go up to the town of Bethsaida, uh, on the north sort of side of the, the Sea of Galilee. They're going to go uh, diagonally up across the lake, and it's only about a four-mile or, or six, about a six-kilometer um, boat ride. And so he says, you know, let, let's get in, let's go. You need to recharge, you need to replenish, you need to debrief, you need to learn, you need to pray. 
And so they get in and they go. This is the heart of compassion for Jesus, of Jesus towards his under shepherds. <clears throat> then we read that there was a, the, what, what the great crowd did. And we're going to see here how Jesus had compassion on the lost sheep of Israel. Look at verse 33. Many saw them going and they recognized them and they ran. Now we're going to see later, this is a crowd full of sick people because they're all going to get healed. So sick people see them leaving on the boat. Obviously there aren't other boats ready at this point. So they ran there. They, they could sort of tell by the, by the trajectory of the boat where these, this team of men were going. So they started running around the lake to beat them to the town that they thought they were probably going to. This was, for them, a 16-kilometer run or jog or walk or drag if you had a sick friend on a mat. I, 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 don't, I don't know what exactly the case was, but they had to go through a, a sharp valley at the top of the lake as well. This is an arduous journey, and they're running there to get there when Jesus is there. They don't care that he's tired. They don't care that the guys are tired. They want to be with them. So, so, so I think Jesus and, and the guys must have been going pretty slowly. They, they would have had a nice, cruisy, little lakeside uh, drift, and they get over to the other side, and the other Gospels tell us that Jesus was on land, on a hill. They were resting there, talking, and then they noticed over a hill, over a crest, the crowd emerges, screaming and yelling, we found them, here they are, and they all start running, and the crowd just enlarges as more and more people come over the ridge, and these tired and weary apostles haven't had anything to eat yet, remember? Have you ever asked your husband to do some chores when he's, he's got home, hasn't been able to take a lunch break that day, he's tired, there's no dinner yet, he couldn't, there was too much of a line at Macca's on the way home, I'm here, I'm hungry, and you just ask him to do one thing, and he snaps. Imagine these unsanctified 12 Fishermen, zealots, some of them were old terrorists. They're here in this group, finally alone with Jesus, not eaten yet, and then the crowd comes again. And Jesus has compassion on the crowds. We see here what, what Jesus did. They, they gather. When Jesus saw them, uh, halfway through this, verse 44, uh, 34 there, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. Jesus understood that as the tens and the hundreds and the thousands were running towards him, as inconvenient as it may seem to us, he had compassion on them as sheep. Isn't that relieving for you, for you and me as, as sinners, as people? If we just even try and get inside the mind of God for half a second, we, we could just imagine how frustrating and childlike and annoying you and I are with our incessant asking, our stupid failures, our repetitive sins, and he still puts up with us. He, I think sometimes we, we relate to God as, as a father who's closed, latched, deadlocked the office door and saying, go speak to mom, she's here for you, I just need a moment. And he doesn't run away and he doesn't kill us, he's a loving father, but he needs his space. But here is Jesus who says, to know me is to know the father. And he fatigued, sees hungry, hurting people, and he feels compassion on them. Can, can that just be a moment of relief for you and me who are constantly in need of asking Jesus for the same grace, the same help, the continual forgiveness as, as we always have? Jesus is standing ready to have compassion on anyone who comes to him. This is the heart of Christ towards sinners. And these sinners are the reason that he came. 
To, to, to anybody else, you look at that and it's an interruption, it's an annoyance, it's a frustration. He's got a pastor's conference to uh, attend to over here and here's the crowds coming and bothering him. To anybody else, that's the response, but not to a shepherd. When a shepherd sees sheep wandering, bleating, hungry, his heart turns to them in compassion and in leadership. This is the reason that he came, to tend to the sheep, to, to, to come to all of those, as Isaiah 53 would tell us, as we are all those who have turned from our own way like sheep. We're scattered on the mountain. Jesus is the one to come and bring us back to the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls, Peter says. This is the heart of Christ towards sinners. Apostles had, like we said, returned, but in Matthew's gospel, they had returned from a ministry to sheep. As Jesus sent them out, in, in Matthew's gospel it records this, so it happened, Jesus sent out the apostles and said, don't go to Samaria, don't go to the Gentiles. I'm sending you on a specific job. Later, after the resurrection, Jesus will say, you're going to go to the ends of the earth. But now in the ministry of the Messiah, it's just to, Jesus says, go nowhere except the, the houses of the lost sheep of Israel. That was their ministry. He just sent them to be shepherds to the lost sheep and now they're back with him and the lost sheep keep on coming and it's a test on their hearts. Jesus cares. Jesus sees the people as sheep and he is compassionate towards them. This is Christ's compassion in his heart. 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 17, there's, there's a prophecy of woe from the prophet Michael. And he says, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. This was a prophecy against King Ahab who was going to take the people into a war that God had not ordained. They were going to lose and be slaughtered. So he's saying, go home. There's no hope here. Your leader is a fool. Go home. Your blood will be shed. Let each man have peace. Go to his home or you'll be scattered on the mountains. And here is a, a, a true reversal. Jesus is on the mountains, seeing them scattered. And as their king, who has not led them there, is here to bring them back. In Jeremiah, also, we read a, a, uh, a, a, a picture of, of gloom over Israel that God speaks. He says, my people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They, they have forgotten their fold. All who found them have devoured them. Or in another picture, in Ezekiel 34, God uh, speaks through the prophet a tirade against the prophets and the pastors and the priests of the day. He rebukes them by saying, The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. These false shepherds. My sheep were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every hill. Jesus sees this again happening. The lost house of Israel. The sheep scattered without a shepherd. And he feels for them. He sees them scattered, defeated by their enemies, away from their master and undone by their own rebellion. And his heart goes out. 
Where were their shepherds, by the way? Those shepherds who were meant to be the openers of the scrolls of the Old Testament, the teachers of the law, the guide to the blind, the light in the darkness, the teacher of children, that's what the Jews would call themselves. Where were they? Where were all the, the priests and the, and the teachers of the town of Galilee, the chief priests and, and, the, and, and the city leaders? We read last week, didn't we? They were gorging themselves on wine and meat in Herod's palace while a prophet's head was put down on a table in front of them. That's where they were. They weren't shepherding the people. They were getting fat while the people starved. And others of them who weren't there, the much more religious guys, they, they were out debating about how many stitches you could use to, uh, to patch up a hole in your cloak on a Sabbath. And they were bothering people about picking too many grain for their children to eat on the Sabbath. You know, you've got to love God here, people. Come on, read the book. That they, were, they were pestering people about whether or not you could stop fasting this day and start eating this day. This is what the shepherds were doing. They were dragging money out of the poor people's pockets, using it to get uh, uh, political and social power, and engorging themselves in pagan parties. That's where the shepherds were. And so, of course, Jesus is accurate to look at these people and say, they have no shepherd. They are scattered sheep. They are in dire need. And I think what Jesus does next is so very telling to what both is our chief problem and what is our greatest need. Psalm 23, I'm sure you've heard that one before. Psalm 23, the first three verses read like this. The Lord is my shepherd. When people are your ultimate shepherd, when men are your ultimate shepherd, when politics or, or any other thing is your ultimate shepherd which guides your soul, you shall want, you will lack as a promise. But the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So here are the Lord's sheep. Shall they lack? They will not. Here they are, in a reflection of Psalm 23, on green pastures. Will he feed them? Will he make them to lie down? Yes, he does. He says, go, take a seat in your groups. I'm going to feed these people, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. And, and here it says in Psalm 23, the Lord restores my soul. Do you think that's what Jesus might be about to do? What Jesus might be about to do is restore the soul of the sheep. But we see here again, our greatest need and our greatest solution in what Jesus does next. Look at the text. What does he do is his heart goes out to them in compassion. Does he write them a welfare check? Does he cross his fingers, give them a Hallmark card, hope that they're the best, offer to supply them with, with grants and financial blessings? No. It says in verse 34, they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. Our chief need, our biggest problem is not social Okay, as, as if we're not in the right club or group. It's not relational, as if we just don't not connected enough to other humans to fill that gap in our heart. It's not physical, as if it's the sickness that's really keeping, keeping you down, and that's the greatest problem that you have. It's not financial, as if an economical plan could solve anything for you ultimately. It is moral. The issue that we have is that we do not know God and so like sheep, we turn away from his voice, despise his commandments, spurn his rule, and live 
in rebellion. And so what Jesus does to solve that greatest issue being your sin against God, my sin against God, deserving of eternal wrath, deserving of justice to be poured out on every one of us. Here are these sheep, every one of them deserving a slaughter. And Jesus leads them to the brook of the word of God. And he teaches them. It says that he teaches them many things. In Matthew, it says that, uh, I believe it's Matthew, it says that he taught them the kingdom of God. So, of course, Jesus is telling them as he's feeling compassionate to them, being lost and rebellious and sinful without the word of God guiding their life. He, he tells them, you are, you are under God's curse and, and covenantal wrath. You know this. Read the, the Old Testament. You're under his wrath. You're shattered, scattered, and shattered like sheep in the desert. But, but God has promised and has sent his Messiah through whom will come the, the new kingdom, which is, which is not uh, national and political, but is spiritual, that has as, as its heart a king dying for his people. Read Isaiah 53, he, he probably told them. Right? He's teaching them the kingdom of God that centers on the work of the king, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. He's telling them how to escape the wrath that is, is owed to them how to escape the punishment of God that will meet them if they do not turn. He's pleading with them like he does in Jerusalem and in Matthew's gospel. Come and be reconciled to God. I would gather you in to bring you to the Father. Do not continue on in your sin. This is what Jesus would have been doing. And he feels for them. And, and so all day, they're captivated. These hungry disciples... And these crowds, they're out in the, in the desolate place. They don't even think about food, or, or more likely, they probably packed a, one meal, took it with them the day to here, saw the boat going off. They all ran off. They don't have more food. So they've, they've sort of eaten through the things that they had that day. And we see now <clears throat> that the day gets long. We see this out in verse 35. <laughs> As Jesus has finished preaching about salvation and the kingdom and the Messiah and sin and righteousness and salvation and faith, the gentleman in verse 35 come up and politely uh, alert him that when it grew late, right, the sun's going down now, when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. It sounds like a good plan. Of course, they're, they're showing their hopelessness, like Mikael the prophet saying, send them away to all their own place. The answer is not here. They don't realize the king is here. This is a king worth following. It's reasonable in the circumstances. Again, they're still hungry. They're sick of the people. They've waited all day. Now it's time. Get them out. But the surrounding town, this is just a, a faulty plan right from the beginning. Those towns around them are not beaming, bustling social places. They're small towns, small villages, and upward of twenty to 30,000 people uh, 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 disseminating among them were not going to find enough food there. They were going to eat the, the fields dry and drain the, the, the markets dry. They didn't actually have a solution here. The disciples knew that. They didn't care. They just didn't want to deal with it. So send them away. Go on, go on. And, and the other thing that we might not catch here is that food for us is a five-second order through a voice box, and then we go up to a window and get it from an underpaid teenager. It's not like that for them. They can't get food on the way home. They were going to have to go home. Remember, they've, they've lost the day's work, so they're, they're probably going to have a deficit of food over the next week because the gentlemen were here, not farming, so they weren't fishing. So, so they're going to have to go home, 
do some kind of gathering. Maybe they've got something in the stores. They, they grind the wheat. They turn it into flour. They turn it into uh, a bread. They bake it after the, the fire's burning. They, it, it's a whole afternoon job just to get a meal ready. So when it's already late in the day, it's not really a, a reasonable thing that they're going to walk back 16 kilometers and then cook it well into the early hours of the morning. It's a pretty dire situation that Jesus seems to have gotten them into. Would you believe that he knew what he was doing? Would you believe it? It says here, right down to the very, very end. In fact, we'll, we'll read now the, the rest of the story and then uh, make some uh, comments. They say, go on, send them away. And Jesus, always testing them, always stretching the disciples' faith, says, nah, you got it. You feed them. Do something. You who've just been plucking dead people out of the grip of death, who have been casting out demons and healing the sick, surely there's a solution here, right? You're just telling me all the amazing things you did. Go on. What might you do? But we'll go on. He says, you feed them. And they say, uh, well, you know, we, uh, well, here's our plan. We can put all our money together, buy a whole bunch of food. It still won't be enough. A few people will get a few scraps, and that will be it. 200 denarii will not be enough. He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And then we find out from uh, John's gospel that Philip took a lunch from a little boy. We're not 100% sure whether it was willing or not. They're pretty desperate at this point. Don't cross a fisherman who has not eaten in 12 hours all day. So here he is. They bring some kids lunch to Jesus and say, there you go. We're, this is our solution. <clears throat> and he said to them, well, then he commanded them all to sit down in groups. Now the English says, in groups of hundreds and fifties, maybe, but, but the, 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 the more honest translation is in groups of hundred by fifties. He's getting them to sit down in groups of a uh, hundred rows, fifty back. Uh, uh, and of course, they're counting here the men. This is how they would do census in the day. You're counting fighting men, working men, or heads of households. You've got 5,000 men, and uh, the other gospels tell us besides them, women and children. Is that? Fertile group, they love their kids, they, they would have had multiple kids with them, so at least one woman per every man and a couple of kids. So we can estimate somewhere between twenty to 30,000 sitting in these enormous rows there on the countryside. And I think as they all sat down, they started realizing this is a bigger group than we thought. The five, the five loaves thing, that was me. That was a hung, hung, I was hangry, that was a dumb move. That's not actually not going to do the crowd at all. I'm sorry, Jesus, this is more hopeless, let's go. Jesus sits them down, and in a moment that surely caused them just a little bit of nervousness, <laughs> can you imagine? He sits everybody down, they all go away, Jesus takes the food, goes over, walks away from them, says grace, they, they just think he's going to take it, thank you everybody for the donation, the teacher will now eat, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> over here Jesus, and so he goes away and he, he prays, he doesn't eat it, and he comes back, and he just starts handing out, out of a little basket, loaves of bread, the disciples take five. Two fish, thank you, Lord, for the food we're about to eat. And it just keeps coming. He just keeps handing them loaf after loaf after loaf after loaf. And, of course, this isn't, this isn't a, a weightlifting kid who's packed five loaves of bread for, for lunch that day. These, are, these loaves are mini, you know, sort of dinner rolls that you get at Sizzler. That's the sort of thing they got. Uh, and so he's handing all of these out to the people, and it just keeps coming. And so they, they pass it along the roads in the groups of hundreds and fifty, and people are just are gathering these, these massive amounts. It, it starts filling up to the back, and everybody to the front gets food. And, and it says that they were all full. But in the Greek, it's they were, well, let's use the sizzler analogy again. It was an all-you-can-eat buffet, and they were engorged. 
They were stuffed to their noses of food. They ate the fish. They ate the bread to their complete and full satisfaction. That's what it says in verse 42. He divided the two fish among them all, and they ate all and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets. After everybody left, there was scattered uh, uh, crumbs and, and half loaves and everything everywhere that people couldn't finish, and they gathered them all up and still left over. There was a perfect 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. And those who ate the loaves were about 5,000 men. There's a few lessons that we can get here. There's a few lessons. Lesson one is don't desire the ministry and authority Jesus will give as a shepherd over the sheep of his flock if you don't want to care for people. There's at least a, a word here to potential or future desiring ministers. <clears throat> Jesus is saying to the apostles, I know you're hungry, I know you're tired, I know you're, you're worn out and you're sick of people, but this is the job. They have a need. Uh, I'm not asking you to take a position for the pomp and the fame and the position. You need to serve people so that when you are at your wit's end and there is need, you keep on pouring out, trusting that the one who fills you is infinite, though you yourself are finite. The people of God are primary to the men of God who are called to serve those people. They are sheep, we are shepherds, and so the demand of Christ is all or absolutely nothing. The pastor who really cares for his people, are always weighed down with the concern of others. And those who, who want position for, for, for primacy or for position or for the pulpit will find themselves worn out, giving up, and unable to continue. <clears throat> Jesus could have just fed the people. You realize that? He, he could have just clicked and there's bread in front of them. He could have just made them miraculously feel full. But he uses the hearts of the disciples. He uses this as a teaching moment because... Jesus is not just feeding people. He's not just feeding sheep. He's raising shepherds. There's an entire difference between those two things. He was not just feeding the sheep. He was also raising shepherds with shepherds' hearts. So use every moment, especially those who would wish to preach the word, use every struggle in ministry as a sign that you are not holy or loving enough and God would draw you to more, more sacrificial service. But then, of course, we, we can continue on with our, with our lesson here. That, <clears throat> of course, we could, we could take a, a, a faulty lesson and, and, and simply say that whenever you're in need, bless it and bless the envelopes, bless the bills, bless the bank account, and God will, God will multiply. Not, of course, at all where we will be going today. Not the practical uh, 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 application whatsoever. But we can see that God provides. God does provide. He, he does want us to see here that he will provide as surely as you sacrifice for God, a full day out on, the, out on the green pasture, not going, not making my food, not feeding my family, I'm here for Jesus. As often as you sacrifice for the Lord, he will return a benefit. Maybe not the, the same way, the, a money in the bank account or, or a healing in your body or anything like that, but Jesus is a debtor to no one. He said in, in, uh, uh, later on in Mark, he's going to say, no one makes a sacrifice for the kingdom that is not paid back a hundredfold and not just in heaven, but now as well in the blessings of the church and the ministry of the word, it will be filled back to you. Let us not hold back our, our money, our time, our effort, our emotions because we, we aren't so sure whether God will pay us back. He will supply us. 
This applies to your family budget, the church budget, the, the, the volunteer basis. How, how heavily can we sacrifice and send and serve so God will fill us and always meet our provision? But the greater lesson that we need to find here, as Jesus will point to in John's version of this account, Jesus said this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Later on in verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is Jesus' word. This is what he wants us to get out of this, that the life-giving quality of what Jesus is doing is not in the, the giving of the bread, is not in the multiplying of miracles. It is in the giving of his own flesh, which would go forward as a substitution for you and for me and for all those there that day who would, who would, be, who would trust in him eventually through the preaching of the apostles. Jesus' flesh goes forward, perfect undefiled and blameless, and it receives from God's imputation the sin of every one of God's chosen sheep. The sin is piled and amassed into Christ so that he becomes a cursed, wretched being that God in his justice destroys and crushes, wipes out, casts as far from the east is from the west. So Jesus was from the presence of God. He was cast out and cursed killed and oppressed so that you and I might, having our sin taken away, receive the blessing and forgiveness and grace of God. And Jesus in his rising therefore secured for us his righteousness in our account. The great exchange that he took our sin gives us his righteousness. This transaction of life, death, resurrection, when we believe in this, we are taking into our bodies, into our souls, the life-giving nature of Jesus, the bread. You cannot be sustained by bread and enjoy the bread by simply looking, smelling, and touching. You have to eat it. Take it into yourself. Entrust yourself to whatever it will do to you. So men are called by Jesus Christ. Man, woman, child, people grew up in church, people never come in before, the, the darkest of sinners, the most apparently righteous of people. Everyone is hopeless and still in your sin. If you have not taken into yourself Jesus and his finished work on the cross as the bread of life. <laughs> I need to realize that the immensity of the miracle here is unlike any of his other miracles. He had healed many, but it was always an individual healing as people came to him. He had risen a few from the dead here and there, but this one, in, in the sheer size of it, was immense like no other. There was, again, a crowd of 20, half Suncorp Stadium was filled, and he blessed every one of them miraculously, so that the people's response to this miracle, John tells us, was to amass around him, say, this is the prophet that was prophesied about, let's make him king. Can you imagine a nation if he was king and could do that? Your army would never run out of energy. You would not have to restock, camp out, make food. You just keep on going forever. You wouldn't even need farmers. So all those men can join the army too. You don't have any economical issue. You're always shipping out things that have just been created out of nothing. There is nothing that could stop that kind of a nation. They were right to sort of be sitting there in the cool of the day in the green pastures. 
eating amazingly created, miraculous food from somebody who was, who was starting to look a lot like the Messiah to many people. They were right to think, this feels like the kingdom of God. Surely we can establish this kingdom now. We've got the king. But Jesus had not yet earned the right to become the full reigning king in the new covenant yet. Because that covenant would be based on his blood. And it had to be shed before he could take the throne. They misunderstood it. So understandably so. Let's not judge these people as complete and utter fools. They were hungry. They were poor. They would often just eat one meal a day. They were sick. They needed healing. It all looked so good. And yet they missed it if they did not see that Jesus was the bread of life. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you are just like these people who have yet to realize that Jesus is the bread of life for your utter satisfaction and salvation. Jesus was commanding them to come and eat because he knew that they had more than just the physical hunger, they had soul hunger. Maybe that's exactly where you are today, that, that you have, by God's own working in your life, you've come to a place of utter hunger, starvation inside, and you've tried everything. You've seen yourself go through pleasure. You've seen yourself pursue money. You've seen yourself pursue all sorts of relationships and, and, and popularity and, and, and all kinds of sin mingled through all of this. You've tried it and you've found like, like a sheep in the desert that it all turns to ash in your mouth and nothing satisfies. And even in those highest moments of pleasure, there is still the, the, the nagging guilt of sin that never lets you have a good moment of pleasure always nags, always drags you down. This is the hunger that Jesus comes to address. And as you sit there, hungry for something that this world cannot provide, you need to let that witness to you. You have not been created for worldly pleasures and sins, but you must turn from that pursuit, turn from the desiring of the world and come to Jesus, who is the reason you exist. His glory ought to be worshipped by you. And in your sin and in your problem of condemnation under God, he can rescue you if you would only believe. Believe that he died for you. Believe that he can save you. As surely as he can stand before a mass crowd and, and create food out of nothing, he can establish a righteousness for you and bring you into the Father's kingdom and family. Believe that and be fed in your soul. Or to Christians this morning, we need to realize that in, in this story, we do have a king who is utterly trustworthy and able always and ever to give us spiritual sustenance. Where the crowds misunderstood this, tomorrow as Jesus challenges them, they all flee. They all go away. Jesus, I'm not going to feed you again. You need to repent of your sin. Come to me. Believe in me. And, and in response to that, the tens of thousands leave him. Mega ministry in Galilee, gone. And it starts trajectorying downwards towards his death. And Jesus turned to his 12 disciples. When the, when the masses left, he turned to his 12 disciples and goes, come on, here's your chance. Are you going to go too? Because I have no need for humans following me for my pride or ego. Will you also leave? And Peter said in that moment, where to? Where to? Where else shall we go, he said. You alone have the words of eternal life. Peter had tasted and seen that the world is not good, that it gives no lasting satisfaction. And he would then write in his epistle, taste and see that the Lord Jesus is good. 
So that you and me, as I know I'm preaching to people who have afflictions or marriage issues or sicknesses or long, lifelong illnesses or just struggles that would, that, would, that would bring any mere person to utter desperation and depression. I know I'm preaching to that kind of crowd this morning. You need to know, as, as a Christian, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, he stands nearby ready to nourish you, sustain you, and carry you. And like Peter, you need to be able to look out and say, yeah, the path that Jesus, my shepherd, leads me on can be dark at times. It is painful and it is difficult, but where else will I go? This is the Lord, God of glory, crucified and killed for me. He will sustain me through anything that he leads me to. He is the shepherd. He's the king, and he's worthy of my trust. That's the call for every Christian this morning. Trust your shepherd, the king. He sustains you at the cost of his own very life. He sustains you. If you do not know him, then you're called to repent of sin and come to him, lest this loving shepherd treats you as a shepherd would treat a wolf. But on judgment day, he will pour out his judgment, his wrath, and his fury on those who would not turn and receive his grace. Let's pray. Jesus, you are compassionate and merciful in ways that we cannot even imagine. And compared to us, like compared to the disciples, you are, you are infinitely merciful, always ready to receive those who are hungry and needy. But God, like those people who would come and gather, and like Judas even, who is there among the disciples and the, the, the 12 apostles, we can be near you and we can hear a lot about you. We can even conform parts of our lives to you. But Lord, if we do not turn from our self-seeking, if we do not turn and come to you to receive the bread of eternal life by repenting of sin, receiving your life, death, and resurrection as being ours for us, if we do not do that, Lord, and bend our knee to Jesus the King, the almighty and loving shepherd, then we are still your enemy. We have no part in you. We have no grace towards us. We have no mercy to bank on and hope for. Father God, I pray that your kindness this morning as the compassionate shepherd would turn sinners to yourself, to repentance. And Lord, may we, your sheep, honor you as our shepherd. May you keep us, even if you, you need to send affliction to do so, may you keep us on the straight and the narrow path that brings you glory. Lord, would you continue to feed us by your word. Teach us many things, Lord, shepherd Jesus, that we might be nourished, strengthened, and able to continually go on. We love you. We thank you for your death in our place, your rule and reign now on the throne to, uh, to, to secure all of the elect to yourself in your kingdom. We pray these things. And everybody said, amen.